0: find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us what would you like the power to do mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america and a member fdse hi i'm josh smith and welcome back to my podcast make it rain i'm a journalist and presenter and i've been lucky enough to sit down and have unfiltered conversations with some truly incredible people I know from my own experiences how powerful talking and, crucially, listening to others is. Something you have heard about in this very podcast and, without a doubt, my life has been changed by the people I've met. I'm so excited that you are back to join me each week to meet amazing queens who've overcome challenges in their own lives. They'll open up about their journey they've been on to harness their power and wear their crowns with pride. I really hope you'll feel empowered to own your own story and make it rain in your own lives too. In this episode of Make It Rain, we are joined by the star of The Crown, Mission Impossible and the World to Come BAFTA winner and Golden Globe nominee is Vanessa Kirby. And now she's an Oscar nominee. I'm screaming for her. For her heartbreaking role as a mother gripped by grief after the loss of her baby during a home birth in Netflix's film Pieces of a Woman. Here Vanessa opens up about how exploring loss and grief has changed her forever, her experiences with imposter syndrome, and how lockdown has left her resorting back to an awkward teenage stage playing The Sims. I can relate. This episode is dedicated to anyone who's ever loved and lost. And as Vanessa shows, the most important thing we can all do is open up, talk, listen and share. Because we're all in this together, queens. Hi,
1: babe. <laughs> you look so handsome. Oh, you look like you've been sunbathing. What the hell?
0: Oh, babe, you know, just getting that glow. It's good skincare regime. Do you know what I mean? Is that what it
1: is? <laughs> What is that sun kiss (laughs) looked about? I feel like I've been in an airport
0: for a year. Oh Oh. my God. Well, you look stunning, babe. And I'm (laughs) slightly screaming that you've come on this podcast because at the beginning when I talked about creating Make It Rain, it was all about celebrating empowering queens I've met along the way. And you've honestly, at different times, given me two of the best pieces of advice that I've ever been given, actually. And... These two pieces of advice have actually completely changed the way that I think and talk about myself as well. The first time I interviewed you, you said to me, whenever you felt anxious, you talk to yourself like a small child, such as, you're okay, you're enough, and you're fine, and you're loved. And every time I now feel anxious, I do that. And that was one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had. And I just wanted to thank you for giving me that piece of advice. And that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the podcast.
1: (laughs) Oh Josh, I'm so, I mean I mean I'm so touched that it even helped to be honest mm. I mean uh, you know I was taught that by someone else or told that by someone else and started to practice it and it really is a practice because um because I realized that oh god I think I was you know when you realize that you you're responsible for parenting yourself mm. and and you then you re- you notice that actually you've been um Outsourcing that responsibility to all factors of many things throughout our lives, you know, you need affirmation from this, or you need someone else to tell you that you're enough, or you know, you look for it in, in, in a million different things in different times of life, in different ways, you know, even sometimes food <laughs> or whatever, you know, massive chocolate cake to sort of soothe you when you're feeling down. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I've told myself that for the last year of lockdown, but um. But, you know, it's just noticing and awareness and realising that you can cultivate a relationship with yourself that's like a kind one instead of a self, uh, self-critical self one. How mm.
0: have you learnt to be nicer to yourself? And what have been some sort of turning points in you learning to be nicer to yourself? And when weren't you so nice or kind to
1: yourself? I just, I was a very anxious person, I think. Very, very sensitive I think, you know, that's probably part of why somehow I, I, I sort of always wanted to be an actress. It was probably um, because I felt things very deeply. Mm. And to me, the, the strange old job that it is, is really about sort of feeling things in different imaginary circumstances. And um, so I, I think I'm sort of probably in, in my nature naturally suited to it. But, um, but it also means that, you know, you have quite a thin skin. I don't think I backed myself enough and self-doubt is really painful essentially that voice that we talked about just now um is one that's saying you know you're not good enough or you did that so badly or you know inherently like a core self-belief of not being enough you know and we I think we pick up that that sort of faulty thinking for all sorts of different reasons and ways, and um, and so I guess the first thing was, was noticing, yeah, I've just been on a really long journey of like introspection, I guess, and like looking at myself and finding ways to um, really truly like yourself, and that is a long road, mm. you know. I think it's a very human thing to, well, you know, we do live in a society where there's constant comparison, pressures to to do i mean the first thing that people get asked at dinner parties you notice everyone's like what do you do and that's your identity that's what you're defined by and we we you know in the world we live in very privileged one as well but we live in one that's that's really defined by those sorts of things and therefore if you're not doing the thing that you think you should be doing or other people are doing then then there's a sort of tendency i think for, to feel like you don't add up to something and I and I think that's a yeah, it's a painful place to be. But a very a very human one, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's mm. it's a very human experience. I think one human experience I think we've all had this year is we've had to learn to define our identity away from mm. the key touch points which we used to have, which would be like social interactions or it'd be like our jobs, for instance. Mm-hmm. Have you had to kind of learn to harness and create an identity that's a way
1: from your job yes very much so um and you know uh the 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 particular (laughs) strange old job i do is is very 24 7 because Mm. it's not like there's not a structure you know in your mind of being like okay now i turn off you know there's there's things that you have to be dealing with all the time and you can every waking minute if you if you want and especially if you if you love what you do as well it's hard to sort of put boundaries in around it, I guess. Um I always remember this brilliant Wayne Dyer quote, I love him. And he said something like, If you are what you do, then who are you when you're not when you don't do? You know, and I think that's the question that, that I got faced with, and I'm sure everyone did in, in different respects of Okay, so you're with yourself, you know, there's a there's a stillness with that. There's a sitting with yourself. You can't go and distract from how you feel or what you're you know. And I I I'm I'm almost certain that everyone's stuff came up the mm. things that you'd co- sort of put on pause you were going to deal with later or you know you sort of push down a bit and you could busy yourself and distract yourself with other things I, for me everything definitely came up and and I guess I've been I've been working sort of so deeply and um, all-consumingly because I love it and I feel incredibly grateful to be honest I felt incredibly grateful to be working any day at all you always sort mm. of have that slight imposter syndrome never forget first time I worked with John Hurt and he said something like Mm -hmm. he was sort of like really nervous before a scene and I said are you okay John he sort of turned to me and said oh just a bit worried I'm gonna be found out (laughs) and I think everyone I like the more I talk about it myself I think everybody has a sort of slightly imposter syndrome all the time he's sort of like looking over your shoulder being like you know is this am I legit (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) and you know when that's when something that's been so sort of all-consuming in your life and, like, you know, really sort of in your heart, I guess, and suddenly it's like, nope. that doesn't exist right now. And you go, okay, so who am I now? Mm. And I think, I think that's probably, as painful as that is, it's probably a very useful thing to be confronted with mm. existentially. Yeah. Do you know what my sister and I did? What do you do? We re... Entered the world of The Sims. <laughs> if you haven't played The Sims. We we downloaded it again. We haven't played The Sims for like 13, 14. And we just... just ugh, that was a whole vortex of many
0: hours. Babe. I used to be so obsessed with The Sims, and this is really embarrassing what I'm about to admit to you. But you know when you first got a password <laughs> on the computer, whatever, you first got yeah. the email address? Because I was so obsessed with The Sims. Like, I lived by The Sims. I died yes. by The Sims. Yes. I My password for everything. But I probably shouldn't say this because if anyone wants to hack me, they can probably find out. <laughs> my password for everything says The Sims.
1: <laughs> no way. I thought you were going to say Even more now- the I thought you were going to no. do Walter Goth. <laughs> you remember oh Walter Oh my God, to get the big house, the goth babe. Family, the big house. And, and now it's like a whole new level. You can like boot out, the, you can boot them out and remarry with, yeah. It's been, it's been a fun <laughs> <long life. laughs> That has been a journey, babe. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who am I? I turned to my sister, cause, because our industry fully really shut down, you know, and yeah. we weren't working for so long and... We were like wild away some hours. My all oh, my friends did. Sometimes we we sent each other videos of how awesome. Oh fuck God! What a tragic thing to admit. It must be
0: so mad for you that this silence in our lives has now produced this incredible success that you're experiencing right now. And babe, let's just serve some facts on some accolades. Your, from your incredible, powerful film, of a Woman, you've not only won Best Actress at the Venice Film Festival. Yes, you have. You have been nominated for a BAFTA, a Golden Globe, a SAG Award, a Critics' Choice Award, and an Oscar nominee as well, sitting here today. How special do those accolades feel?
1: Um... To quote someone else, <laughs> like, you got to you've got to put a stop on it in a second. But I really love I really love this little writer and um, like thinker, Gabor Mate, and he he wrote a book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, and he talks about the system that we're all in, and that we are like a lot of us are sort of, you know, uh, uh, walking around sort of um, at, like a hungry ghost in terms of al- always needing more, just like you said, mm. like you know, which is attaining more, having more once you've got something and you're on to the next thing, you need more, you know, and I think that when that that process is sort of, you know, in a in very difficult times for so many people has been sort of paused for a moment, I think it sort of illuminates that motion, I guess. And so with this stuff, I mean, yes, people have said, oh, you know, is it, are you sad? You're not sort of in person with everyone and like, you know, all these things are, are happening and I guess in a way, it, I, Venice was um, Venice was really special because that actually was, was in person. But I remember sitting with with Tilda Swinton, my agent, looks after, and we sat at the begin um, the very first day of the festival, and she said, "Oh God, it's not usually like this. Venice is, you know, the film festival is like this." And I remember saying back to her, "Oh, well, I mean, I just don't know any different. I'm like I was so in wonder at the whole thing because I hadn't been to Venice Film Festival before. I was so." fucking honoured that I had two films that were even accepted there, let alone, you know, being there, sitting and watching with an audience, and, and two of the films that I I really loved so much, um, doing of it and, and being a part of it and making them. And, and so the gratitude in- increases, you know? And I think in this year, the fact that, you know, those things that you just listed, I mean, it's like, what? My 12-year-old self would be like, and is slightly I mean it's so surreal it it's it's like are you sure, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I guess I guess I don't need it to be a big party, you know i mm. I'm just really, really touched that this film was so supported by Netflix, who so I've known for years, you know, obviously 'cause of the crown they're like family, and meant that more people than three could see it, and it'd be about something that I cared so much about uh, mm representing because mm. yeah.
0: it, it's so important that we have films like peace of woman that start conversations that we usually shy away from and from all my friends who watched it when i watched it and oh my god i was in floods of tears the whole way through your performances it like hit me in my core it, that's where it I felt like it got me right here and you mm. have my heart in your hand and like it was just so incredible but what was so impactful for it. For me and my friends who watched it, we kept talking about this really like strong feeling of grief and how we usually all shy away from talking about that Mm. and how it can be, how it's a physical loss, but it's also mental loss as well. How was that for you sitting into playing that kind of grief and dealing with those emotions? And did it help you deal with emotions you've had before like that?
1: Mm, massively, actually, because I knew that I had to go to a place which I thankfully haven't experienced that level of grief, but I feel so changed from it because I feel like I have more sensitivity to anyone that's going through any remote re- anything remotely near that. Mm. From firstly the women that described it all to me, you know, and I wanted to sort of make sure I could like attempt as as truthfully as possible to, to just, to just sort of, yeah, represent their true experience of going through something like that. But it also, you know, I, I sort of also listened to lots of people that have been through all sorts of different grief. Like even my friend saying, you know, he didn't smile for a year after his dad died, barely, you know, I remember thinking, I wonder if anyone on the street would have known that he was in that Mm. process. And uh, especially because this character is sort of, you know, it is a sort of unusual portrait of grief in the sense she's not outwardly showing it, you know, or doesn't, it's so painful that she doesn't even want to go there, you know, like she's uh, sort of just completely dislocated from from it because um, it's just too, you know, in a way I think she fears she might not exist if she feels it because it's that like um, that much of a abyss of grief in a way. Um, as dramatic as that sounds, it did sort of feel like that. I don't know, I guess I feel more connected to anyone experiencing any kind of loss and the loss that I felt in my life, you know, in all sorts of different ways, whether it's losing a relative or someone you really love or a relationship or whatever. And and you know, when you come out of that process, your mind almost semi represses it. But mm. when you're when you're in it, you feel like you're the only one in it. Mm. And and you you know, you have people around you to support you, mm. you know if you're lucky but some people don't and um and most most of all it's just a lone journey that you have to walk and you don't know how long it's going to take and time feels like forever sometimes even though it could be a week you know it's just about getting through a morning or a day or an afternoon or hour by hour and then when we come out of it we sort of semi forget it in a way and yet I just I really hope that the movie sort of spoke to anyone that has you know, been through a really hard grieving process, whatever that looks like, and that is part of life.
0: Do you think it's changed you forever?
1: Yeah. I mean, firstly, because I actually learnt so much about motherhood Mm. and, like, I sort of have a dress rehearsal of birth, (laughs) which is so crazy because I'm sure it'll be completely different when I actually do it. I'll be like, oh, fuck, this is what it's like, (laughs) fuck, oh, God. Um... uh, (laughs) But yeah, God, and, and and to be honest, you know, I, I had this u- uh, unbelievable little miracle of being able to watch someone do it for real. And that in itself changed me. I feel so blessed to have done the film just for that alone because I saw something truly sacred happen. So that was an honour. But I guess, yeah, and, and watching her learning about... I just watched her do eight hours of, like, the most powerful thing I've ever seen in my life. Mm. I mean, like women do that that's so fucking amazing Mm. and um and then obviously you know having the sort of privilege to spend a a lot of time with different mothers who have lost babies and and sort of be witness to their their stories and how they came to terms with it and um and the fact that there is just so much silence around it that they feel like They haven't really been able to speak about it and Mm. when i learned really early on that one in four pregnancies end a miscarriage i thought oh my god that's 25 percent and yet the amount we talk about it is like 0.01 percent you know which is peculiar and i think i feel i hope will change
0: do you feel like being part of the conversations has taught you that there's so much power in talking about your vulnerabilities and that actually vulnerability can ultimately become a power in itself.
1: Mm, I think so. I think as we transition from the, like a, a very sort of male driven world that I think has been so much built up on, um, I don't know, m- maybe this sort of now outdated expectation that men need to be macho and not feel their feelings. And, you know, British culture, directly. You know, just get on with it type thing. Um, I think there's more and more space for it. And I do think, in my experience, my strongest moments have been my most vulnerable. When I've sort of risked... It's Brené Brown stuff, isn't it? And shame, like, risking... Like, vulnerability is bravery. Because it's revealing something about yourself that even you find scary. Mm. Uh, Let alone, like, reveal it to somebody else.
0: Mm. When have you leaned into your vulnerability the most would you say
1: i think it's probably one reason why i do the work the the job that i do because it forces you to Mm. it's really interesting like i have this incredible group of friends and um (laughs) like they're so free and and brilliant and so like um they don't they they have no armor you know like if you came into a room with them you just love them they just love you instantly like they're very i'm so lucky like they're my proudest thing i think to be honest and they're so free and they might do, like, I don't know. I, we have a party, they'll do some, like, crazy dancing and be so silly. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not talking about, like, annoying, but yeah. just, like, really, like, taking the piss, you know? And I find it hard to do, stand up and do that. And I was thinking, recently, actually, we were all talking about it, I thought, God. And yet I had to do, I effectively had to do up and do a, a really fucking stupid dance every day at work. Do you know what I mean? Like, whatever that looks like with a silly wig... And pretending you're this person and everyone on the crew is like, yeah, okay, well, you're pretending to be this person. You have to try and be believable and like explore something that isn't true and is imaginary, but you have to feel like it's true. And mm. and that's like incredibly exposing. And yet um, I find it much harder in my own life.
0: Do you know what is so interesting about what you were saying is that silliness is actually such an underrated thing. And my friend Billy was talking to me about this the other day. She's, she's like, I just love being silly. Get me that Celine Dion track on, babe. Get me that whisk. Get me that mic. You kind of, as a kid, you do it constantly. Yeah, you're silly you play, all the time. You and you play and you you let go. And all those mm. vulnerabilities and feelings just fly out the window. But as mm. adults, you're kind of like, taught, like, don't dance on top of that table.
1: <laughs> Get down. Oh, totally. totally. Yeah. But that's, there's so much of like you know, this sort of invisible expectation of what we what we need to be as human beings. It's like, we're actually mammals, for God's sake. It's <laughs> yeah. like, sometimes we forget that and we're like super cut off from nature and being in, you know, and I think that comes with a lot of, we, you know, we very much are in a system and we're all willing participants, you know. Mm.
0: And something we've spoken about before, and I think from speaking to you about this, is your activism work as is really helped you and the faith mm. in your own voice hasn't it and you've done amazing work with Sands, which is a remarkable charity that supports grieving parents and War Child which you've been working with for a number of years now I get the sense that both of those things have changed you as well right and the way that you think about things and process things
1: mm. massively and I just started working with um, another charity too who is now Oh, my God, a great love of my life. Um, it's the rainforest charity in the Amazon. They're so, so amazing. Amazon Frontlines. Anyway, and I just... Um, yeah, I guess all of those things... And it really... It's not... I've You know, when I approached them and said, like, I would love... I'd be honoured to, like, work alongside you and help you raise money and grow, whatever. I, I, you know... I'm not some noble actor that's, you know, doing charitable work. I don't feel like that at all. I, like, I, I, that I find that, do you know what I mean? Like, oof, how do you describe that? Um, icky. It feels a bit icky. Yeah, like, way. no, like, I you know, I'm very aware of the fact, you know, when I joined War Child, I was like, I'm the least important person here. And, oh, my God, what you guys are doing every day is seriously um, humbling and, and I guess having gone to, you know, the Syrian refugee camps and Iraq and, you know, the, the they work in um the Central African Republic and DRC as well and are doing such beautiful work there. When you when you go there, you know, you've read about things in the paper and I always care whenever I saw it like on the tube, you know, on the front page of the Inusan, I always felt quite sick at it and thought, oh, I feel so helpless with all this. And then actually when you go and you realise like oh my god that that family's just like mine mm. you know because it easily could be me and I'm like so lucky I remember when I came back on the plane um, and I, could, I was looking at England outside the window the first time I'd ever gone anywhere with them and met all these Syrian families who'd been through absolute hell like oh, abs- just hell is the word and I was looking over at our little country and it sort of this is a safe place, relatively, you know, compared to other places in the world. And I, I became so grateful for the country. And I think, you know, some you can complain about politics and we can, you know, there's all these sort of like things that in our lives, but actually, as I looked over the country, I was like, wow, I'm lucky to be English. Mm.
0: Well, it's also important. I think this is something we've all realised in last year is we actually all have more similarities than we do differences. And those kind mm. of experiences... Show us that. In my opinion, babe, you are a queen. You are.
1: and (laughs) You are such a queen champion. I'm I'm a queen champion. That's what to made my bio, babe, a queen champion. And what a beautiful thing to be.
0: That's the beautiful, beautiful role. But who's passed the crown on to you and inspired you, would you say?
1: God, so many people. Um, Honestly, I mean, it's shared amongst my friends. I know know that sounds really um corny but like we do all grow together you know I remember saying recently it's a bit like I I learned that like if you view your life like a novel right and if you look back and you imagine it's going to be a novel one day (laughs) don't know what would be interested in mine (laughs) anyways um but yeah you that each like the 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 novel as a whole right there's different chapters there's a chapter where you lived here you know there's a chapter where you were in this relationship there's a chapter and then there's certain key characters that are all the way through and they are always your friends and um i really value them for that in a way and it it really has been that journey with all of us we just um yeah we so sort of we're really side by side with different things i feel incredibly lucky and they're so important to me Mm. do you have that i bet you do
0: Oh, I literally think that my friends are my chosen family.
1: Yes, and like, I mean...
0: And I think friendships say so much about what you're like as a person. And one of the most, I think one of the most proudest moments ever is uh, someone I know came to my, he doesn't really know any of my other friends. He came to my 30th birthday party and he turned mm-hmm. around and said to me at the end of it, he was like, that was the most fun ever <gasps> because every single person was a reflection of you and you were all reflections of each other Mm. and it was just such a good space to be in. And I literally was like, that was honestly, that's the proudest moment of my whole life.
1: Oh my God, right? It's so like, oh, doesn't that fill you up? Like Mm. just everything. And I remember years ago, someone saying, put friendship in your romance and romance in your friendship, you know? And there's like a true romance going on with my friends. Like they're just... It's so great. Oh, it's yeah. the best. And People mm. don't talk about it
0: enough. It's all about the friends, mm. all about those mm. relationships. And babe, we're going to be serving up a little bit more chat after this little break. So don't go anywhere, honeys.
1: Let's serve
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's serve it. Make It Rain is proud to be working with Aurelia London, the experts in probiotic skincare. I don't know about you, but coming out of winter, my skin is looking super dull. So to bring back my glow, I've been using Aurelia London's Probiotic Concentrate to supercharge my everyday skin routine, using it alongside the Aurelia London Day Moisturiser. Probiotic skincare gives the ultimate glow, no matter what your skin concern is, from fine lines to rosacea and even pigmentation or acne. And because Aurelia London and Make It Rain are all about empowering people to glow inside and out I have a special code for you. Get 20% off the entire range by heading to aurelialondon.com and using the code Josh20 at the checkout. Well, welcome back, Vanessa Kirby.
1: Thank you for welcoming me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think everyone fell in love with you when you played that iconic queen herself, Princess Margaret, in the first two seasons of The Crown. I mean, what a performance. And I think one of the most iconic things I've ever seen on screen is you putting your cigarette out in the queen's vase. I mean, that doesn't get more queenly. <laughs>
1: And someone's sandwich actually, and someone's sandwich, and I think that was in season two. Like, oh yeah, the old sandwich as the butler was taking it away, I I enjoyed doing that so much. (laughs) I always look for an opportunity to do that in real life, but it never presents itself, sadly. (laughs) Alas, babe, alas. Alas.
0: (laughs) Alas. But I was thinking about your role, and Princess Margaret, and the kind of media storm that encircled her and how it was kind of very sexist what happened to her. From looking at that character and that very real person who had to deal with all of that Mm. and the presentation she had in the media to how we're Mm. still not really giving enough kindness and enough sympathy to women in the media today as well. Do you feel in some ways it shows we haven't come as far as we thought we had?
1: well i guess i think i think there's just so much work to do generally um like that's that's progressive you mm. know and i think that i mean i'm just i'm just setting up my own production company actually and um and for me the real on i've always wanted to do it and i and i know now i'm ready and i know that um it's because like i know the, the like the the small responsibility like the very small part of a very big industry but to represent a female experience on screen, you know that that, as you said, like God, when you when you said, "Oh, uh, really," the movie like got into your core, you know, like you're a man and you, since that seemed like you connected to it so much, and I think that should always be the intention with work, you know, it's not for one singular person. I just feel like my part is to create, find, uh, and represent things on screen that as a public sort of collective consciousness maybe we haven't seen before. Mm. And we haven't seen because it's been an incredibly male industry. (laughs) And stuff just simply wouldn't get financed. I mean, I remember when even when this movie got financed, I was so surprised and delighted that a movie about a woman, you know, who's on screen for a quarter of the whole film giving birth, and um loses a baby was was financed, and I'm telling you it would not even if even a few years ago, no way because that wasn't um commercial or it wasn't mm. what I think the industry thought people wanted and i'm I feel so strongly that um you have to be at the the forefront of creating those things because you know even if it's like one person that watches it that knows nothing about baby loss or birth and suddenly feels weirdly connected to it because they've watched this sort of person go through it I think that's uh that's such a cool and sort of important thing for us all to to think about you know how we can you know that's why you you champion queens is so important because it's a beautiful thing to do
0: there needs to be a collective empathy first strategy right? To understand people's situations. And I think that it comes down to, and this is something I've been thinking about in the last few weeks with it being Women's History Month in March, is that we need more men to join the cause to call out sexism every day. How does everyday sexism still play out in your life?
1: I'm lucky in the sense that the industry I'm in was the industry that begun to call it out in the first place, mm. and i and I have one of my great friends uh at the time, yeah, she said something like, "Well, you know but but why sh- why sh- why should I care if someone's on a red carpet talking about this like that? How does that relate to me? I noticed there was an overnight difference when the me Too movement was founded, you know, and the Weinstein thing happened. there was a difference in how people spoke to me or awareness around it. And now like pieces of a woman I know wouldn't have got made. I hadn't, oh. this is my first lead. Like them taking a risk on an actress holding a movie about, um, uh, yeah, a woman losing a baby was like unthinkable a few years ago.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what's so important about art and films. And that is what The World to Come is all about as well. It's That's a queer love story that never would have been told a few years ago and it's so powerful and what do you think that experience has taught you about about playing a queer character what has that mm. taught you about allyship
1: do mm. you think two things firstly i i you know it wasn't that long ago that story story was set and there's like no trace of those women you know like there are our mm. ancestors i mean not of our country obviously but like women like them at the sort of of that time and centuries before and i don't think i'd realized and obviously imagining someone's life and then like sort of in, inhabiting their life you you do like viscerally get their experience and their experience was one of like quite simply you don't even get to choose what you do with your minutes in your day mm. let alone who you love you know and so to love another human and they and they happen to be a woman and that is even um more uh i'm I'm thinking of like a being ensnared (laughs) you know you're so ensnared and then and then like it's like totally forbidden because you are literally owned by the man your body is Mm. you're owned by the the home that the man chooses you have to sue you have to take your role play your role within the home and that's and that's who you are you know and I think of all these women who weren't that, who were so many more things. And that's what that film always felt like a massive like cry out about, you know? It was always like all those women that must have come before us, you know, and queer men and women everywhere who who weren't able to choose who they loved. Like that's, and still are out there in the world, you know? So that that film was sort of like an ode to that. Because um, you know it was often fatal to dare to do it, and yet for me, you know, like those women, out at Abigail and Tally, were sort of pioneers of wanting more for themselves and and being fearless in in trying. And uh, it's definitely made me a grateful for what the choices I have, and b braver <laughs> to go. Okay, what what are my what do I think my limitations are? You know, and that might be like an inherited belief system in the culture of like, as a woman, you can't, you shouldn't really do this, and you should do this, and you should be this, because that's what everyone apparently wants you to be. And you're like, yeah. huh? Is that true? And how can I, how can I push beyond that?
0: I, I just think, I just feel like whenever I see those stories on the screen, it, I just can't help but think I'm so lucky. Like, I live in a country I can walk down the street. And I can hold my boyfriend's hand. I can mm. kiss him on the tube. Not obviously too much PT.
1: <laughs> no, bring it on. Bring it, bring on. it on. Bring,
0: bring it, it on. on. But I can do that, and it's it's so important. We see that those rights can be taken away, and mm-hmm. they are new rights. And mm-hmm. that is what's important about allyship, isn't it? That's that's the T.
1: That is it. Standing beside each other, going, "I witness your experience." And it might be really different to my experience, you know. Uh, and and yet yeah, I can stand alongside you and hold space for that, you know, in every way. And like, champion.
0: <laughs> well, we are all about champion that underdog. And I just love talking to you. I think you're mm. so amazing. <laughs> but at the end of every episode, we always ask our queens one final question. And that is, in the reign of your life, what is the one rule you will always live by? Vanessa Kirby?
1: Um, I hope I live by that being kind is better than being right. I, I think kindness is like the number one most important thing I've learned. My mum always told me that. Mm. She's so kind.
0: And it's not just kindness to other people, it's kindness to ourselves, right? Mm.
1: I think if you work on, you, you know, the more you work on being kind to yourself, it always starts with you, the kind of you can be to everyone else. That's just how it works. So start start with the insides and the outsides will take care of themselves. I really believe that. It's definitely worked for me. Yeah.
0: I love that. Well, mm. thank you so much for joining me, Vanessa. Thank you, Josh.
1: You're so handsome. Oh. Look at you. You're so handsome. And you've definitely got a tan. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for listening, queens. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and take just as so much away from it as I have. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcast from so you'll know which amazing queen is joining me next time. And make sure you share this around your friends and get those conversations going because we need each other now more than ever before. Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want and bring the connections you are so deserving of babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook and audiobook read by me no less and it's out on the 20th of June.